You're listening to Nakedly Examined Music, a podcast about songs and songwriters. My name is Mark Linsenmeyer. My guest for episode number 134 is Laraji. Born Edward Larry Gordon Jr., he started in comedy and playing keyboard in jazz bands in the 70s. He's best known for playing the zither and released his first album of meditative zither music in 1978. Has had something like 40 releases since then. You're right now hearing the dance number one from Ambient 3, Day of Radiance, 1980. The Ambient series being a Brian Eno production. Brian discovered him busking around that point. His most recent work is on piano with a new album, Sun Piano, also another album, Moon Piano, which had not been released when we did this interview, but has since been. We're going to talk about Hold On from Sun Piano and look back just a couple years to 2017's Introspection, a zither tune from Bring On The Sun, and then all the way back to 1986 with a vocal tune, All Of A Sudden, as recently released on Vision Songs Volume 1. We'll conclude by listening to another Sun Piano tune, the classic Shenandoah. For more information, please see laraji.blogspot.com. For more about this podcast, see nakedlyexaminedmusic.com and you can get ad-free versions of these episodes at patreon.com slash nakedlyexaminedmusic. And if you enjoy this, please leave a nice rating and review of this podcast at iTunes or wherever you listen to it. So I will play it a little bit of dance number one from Ambient 3, Dave Radiance, 1980. We're going to get pretty quickly to the new thing, Sun Piano 2020. Do you want to give a little bit of the journey that got you back to piano, back to your first instrument? I've always loved piano. And whenever I had an opportunity to touch a piano during the course of my regular touring, whether backstage or someone's home. So I've always been alive on the piano, but I just haven't brought it to the forefront of my performance touring until recently. The concert that I did in California about three or four years ago was recorded. And that concert was done with a piano that was still on stage while the people were changing stages over. I told them, why don't you just leave the piano there? And so I included the piano spontaneously in the concert in San Francisco. And that concert was recorded. And the piano section caught the attention of Matthew Jones at Warp. And he just made the suggestion, why don't we do an album eventually called Sun Piano? using a piano. And I went along with it. Up until that time, I hadn't really recorded the piano seriously, either uh, collab or even solo. So this is my first solo piano album. And it's sort of like a full circle from the time I first touched the piano was in a church, my second Baptist church in Perth Amboy, New Jersey. And I was a youngster and I would have opportunities to play the piano there when the church wasn't busy with people. And my mother noticed my interest in the piano, and she sprung for lessons and a, and a real live piano, upright piano, placed in our home. And that's got me started really bonding with the piano. And so this Sun Piano was recorded in a church, an empty church, <laughs> similar to the empty church that I started out playing the piano in. So there was a kind of a full circle. Here I am playing my visionary piano heart out for a recording, Unitarian Church in Brooklyn two years ago to get this album on the road. So the song we're going to highlight here is Hold On to the Vision, which some parts of it sound very composed, except then the themes don't necessarily come back the same way. But you're saying this entire project was still improv, just like 100% of what you do or 90% are there? Totally improv. Of course, there are riffs or there are feelings at the keyboards of rhythmic themes that keep popping up, but they'll show up in new kind of improvisations. But none of that was premeditated or written down. It was simply get into a state of feeling good and having the piano facilities 
prepared some exercises and doing maybe some yoga, breathing and positive thought exercises, and then just diving into the keyboard and pulling music from the sky. Thank you. 
So you had piano lessons. Do you remember what kind of stuff were you playing Chopin? Were you playing the sort of the normal canon of things that beginner piano players start with? How many years did you do that before you just took off on your own? There was college. In college, there was Chopin and Cerny and Schubert and Schumann. These were famous names of etudes and piano exercises. I can remember the book being yellow with black print on the cover. But scales and arpeggios were my major uh, warm-up practice method. And going through all the scales and arpeggios would really open me up to improvisation. Matter of fact, if I was rigid about my practice, I would go until my body would say, okay, now let's just break out of this. (laughs) And the improvisation would be so yummy. They would be full of liberation and celebration as a result of having forced myself to remain in this tight, rigid scales and arpeggios practice for maybe sometimes a half an hour or an hour. I recall, you know, a piano in my house when I was little, and that was the instrument that I would mess around on most, but it was a lot of the fun with it was not really knowing what you're doing. It's just kind of feeling it around. And it's a completely open sonic palette that, you know, we can leave the key. You're not trying to keep to any rhythm in particular. Once you actually have to take piano lessons, then it seems like your fingers are likely to kind of get stuck in the things that you've been learning. And I'm hearing at the beginning of this song, I mean, this is such a beautiful intro. Like, this sounds like you're starting a standard of some sort. Do you have any idea what you're channeling that entered your fingers during those piano practicing days or your brain since then might have gotten you off to a start like this in this song? No, because it's more like a conversation, like meeting a friend on the street or the sidewalk. You just jump into the conversation without knowing what you're going to say. But I would free associate with the piano and the condition of the piano enters into the equation, too like a grand piano that's well-tuned and has good response, like a Baldwin or a Steinway, I would get into an improvisation and a free association in a different way than I would, let's say, a beat-up upright piano, a Wurlitzer. But I would still have fun with it. But the condition of the piano would enter into the equation. And it boils down to free association. I just hit a note, play a chord, and a feeling would well up that would just decide what the next area of the piano my fingers would land on. And pretty soon I was spelling out a spontaneous composition. Yeah, I think this one you really struck gold multiple times. Let me just play a little bit from 33 seconds in. Again, this sounds like you're doing the overture to a musical, like this should be a standard, but yet it's just a little, you know, it's a sentence in the conversation. You don't circle back to that later. Free-flowing streams of thought and uh, spontaneity, but somewhere along that album, themes do return. And that's one thing I will do when I find myself being given a theme. I'll try to do a variation of it or come back to it. Sort of the ABA form that I was taught in composition. That's one of the simple forms of composition, ABA. Start out with the theme, go to a middle section, and then return to the theme. And I found that a simple way to frame up a real wild improvisation. To give it some grounding is to suggest a theme, then go way out, explore, and then come back and suggest the theme again. Sometimes a theme three times. But that's 
one conscious activity that I tend to do during improvisation to watch for what might suggest itself as a theme and attempt to reintroduce it. Well, it seems part of what gives some consistency is maybe you're being a little consistent with the left hand, you know, that at least you're doing two chord variation patterns, and then maybe it's moving somewhere else, but it's keeping some rhythmic elements, even if the melody is moving somewhere else, that, you know, there's a coherence. As I hear you mention that, I'm reminded of how much dance and dance imagery is in my body and in my improvisations. Dance is always on the edge of my body language. I love dancing. And my interaction with the piano, even though it's a percussion instrument as well, is to feel that I'm dancing with it and interacting with the keyboard. Let me play one more section. This is uh, 138, so not not that far in, where we get another sort of grace note melody that at least, if not this actual melody, this technique comes back a few times in the song. Which I know on strings, I started in orchestras, you know, those are grace notes, but when you're actually just hitting two half steps on a piano, is there a particular name for that technique where you're keeping both of them down, but just one of them is going down slightly before? The closest I can remember during my piano lesson, they were either called grace notes or trills. Okay, all right. So the fact that they're sustained so that you're hearing both, whereas a grace note on violin or something is just like a little slide. It's just a thing you're throwing away before you get to the real note. But here, it's got that definite, if you have a melody where multiple notes are dring, 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 like that is a very cool, you know, jazz tonality that you're introducing all those little half steps that stick around. It's, I guess that's used in, from even clown music comes to mind, you know, in terms of, deep, deep, deep. like if you really want something to sound, give it a little touch of humor. That's one of the techniques. When I'm in the midst of doing that, I'm not thinking of grace notes, but uh, having grace notes and having done trills prepares me to uh, be experimental. Sometimes the tonality is very like sati, is, you know, very jazz open and the rhythm is very broad. And then we have something, I just want to jump to the end of the song, 318, where you have these counter lines that run together really helps get the song toward the end. That could have even gone on another 20 seconds, but it's really, you know, gives it nice momentum. Yes. I'm in the moment of feeling good, feeling the piano and dancing, and uh, music is suggesting itself to me. So I'm not thinking at that moment. I'm feeling, and it's feeling like a dance. On, of course, my jazz influence is showing up there. Well, and your scales, that you're doing scales in opposite directions at the same time with your two hands uh, or something. I don't know if it scales exactly, but... And it's also polyrhythmic, you know, fours against threes or threes against fours. So that's right near the end of the song, and then you've got a little more of the grace note stuff, and then it fades out. So was this originally a much longer jam that this is the beginning of? This could have been. How I recorded was the uh, recorder was on, and I just flowed for sometimes 45 minutes and then stopped. For two days, I did that. Matthew Jones at Warp and Jeff Ziegler, they went over all the tracks and picked out what seemed like complete pieces and sometimes the complete pieces had an extension so what you're talking about is they may have decided to end the piece when there was actually 20 seconds more or so to go but those 20 seconds they let become part of another piece let me stop for a second before going on to the second song 
I'm pleased to be once again sponsored by Masterclass, which lets you learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere at your own pace. Over 85 classes by all these people. You know their names. Itzhak Perlman, Reba McIntyre, Carlos Santana, a bunch of other musicians, as well as Steve Martin, Neil Gaiman, David Sedaris, Joyce Carol Oates, Penn and Teller, David Lynch, Natalie Portman, so many more. And two highlights I want to tell you about this time. Number one, there's a new music course by St. Vincent. It's a nice, compact course about creativity and songwriting. It has a lot of her philosophy of creation stuff you would get out of this podcast and going very deep on a few of her particular songs. It is really the closest course to this podcast you're going to see by Masterclass, you know, with a much bigger budget than I have. So if you want to learn everything from what gear exactly she uses, it's listed in the downloadable PDF to much more abstract stuff like how to channel your fear, shame, humiliation into great songwriting. This is definitely a fun one. She is very interesting. Another thing I want to point out is with so many classes, you don't have to just pick a couple and go deep on them. With your Masterclass annual membership, the site has different lessons pulled by theme. So for instance, you can hear a bunch of clips from David Mamet, Werner Herzog, Frank Gehry, and Aaron Sorkin on truth and art. Or a whole bunch of people weighing in on what makes a joke funny. Or five different presentations on what to do with an egg. These sort of longitudinal takes on the classes, I think, add a good amount of value. I highly recommend you check out Masterclass. You can get unlimited access to every Masterclass. As a nakedly examined music listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash examined. That's masterclass.com slash examined for 15% off Masterclass. Now let's get back to the show. So much of this album, if this is the only thing anybody had heard of you, it would be very, in some ways, not representative at all, right? Because so many of the other things are these much longer, much more straightforwardly meditative pieces. As you're describing it, like actually the way you made the new album was very similar to the way you make the old albums. It just happened to be a different instrument. But the way that it was edited and the amount of song-like elements that are just jumping out at me make it very distinct in my mind. So I want to get a, an example of a slightly older one. So Introspection is one of your more popular tracks from Bring on the Sun 2017. Do you want to say a little about that, or where you were at with this album or this type of composition before we hear any of it? That was deliberate with an extended form of for meditative contemplation. So I did have the intention of composing, creating, performing a spontaneous piece that would lend itself to introspection, quiet, internal reflection. And I kept that intention going for what, I, I don't know how long introspection is, 12 minutes, 22 minutes. But I remember deliberately sustaining that. That's part of my practice of playing for conferences and meditation centers, deliberately holding a space. And it's easy to do that with the zither because it's locked into a tuning. So the tonality sustains itself. With a keyboard instrument, there's the temptation to wander around. <laughs> move around and explore the excitement of so many keys available. So for introspection, I guess one of the things I want to ask you about this is for the purposes of this podcast, I noticed that the whole thing is 11 minutes, but there's a version that's two and a half minutes that is by far your most popular thing on Spotify. I see it has 15 million listens. Do you have any idea why this one two and a half minute track that you released as a single has, was it in a soundtrack? Did it, any idea why that caught fire like that? It probably was remixed. I don't remember who remixed it, but whoever remixed it probably did a fantastic job of it. So it's not a remix. It's just an edit. It's just the beginning of the song. Really? 
So I wanted to ask you what you would prefer to present to the audience here, whether we should just get a taste of it with the shorter version or just go ahead and give them the 11 minutes just to, so they can get a full meditative immersion right now. How long is the shorter version? The two and a half. I think that's good enough to give people a taste. So I'm kind of glad you made that decision because I feel like there aren't many more actual elements introduced after that time that it's just kind of more of the same. And in fact, several times just listen to it like I thought the song was done, but then it kind of fades back in again. So this is the zither, but it's through a lot of effects or is, is it triggering some synth sound as well? Or what are we hearing here? It's going through a very wide reverb sound. I think I have a drone in there. Keep a synthesizer drone going on, as I kind of recall. I don't remember what else. It's probably a plucked and gentle washes on the zither. And do you have that set? I know, I mean, obviously reverb will extend it, but it doesn't deaden the attack. But you're saying you're just plucking it so lightly that you're not getting much attack in the first place. Being very sparse attacks, very sparse plucking on that. And that's to sculpt or to suggest spaciousness and a relaxed breathing pace, sort of, sort of timeless unrush setting, which I consider to be more ideal for the practice of introspection. Timeless, unrushed, quiet, 
So it's meant to foster introspection, not necessarily. I was thinking if this was a literal description of like, maybe when you introspect, you see this inner peace. When I introspect and try to make that into a sonic collage, I get a lot of stray. It would come across as much more psychedelic and twitchy. That's probably the gift of individual directions that my introspection and your introspection will be introspections of a, a different, <laughs> a different poetic leaning. Is this as an introspection? Is it more aspirational? That of course, the purpose of meditation is to slow those twitchy things down to. An introspection is to quietly look at the self, to feel what's going on with one's life, to consider one's priorities, especially in this particular time of our global unfolding, is to reset, to see what wants to leave our life and what wants to come in on a bigger scale, see what has value to us now or no longer has value. Introspection, and I guess to bring the self up and upgrade the self to see what kind of upgrades we need. So quietly observing, sensing, feeling, being with the self, respecting the self's needs by listening quietly, inwardly. And do you get a lot of your listeners who, this is exactly the kind of thing that I have used over the years to basically take a nap to because I don't meditate, but I feel like meditators, that's the first rule of meditation is don't fall asleep. You got to actually stay focused and calm. Is this a bastardization of your the use of your music to just nap to it? That's a compliment <laughs> to go off in trance or to do creative writing or to do uh, body work. But if you go to sleep and say, I'm flattered when people go to sleep because it means that the music has suggested to them a vibration of their own mind that is unbusy. So it gives them a permission to slip away from the busy mind and go to sleep. <laughs> And I guess some of those, you know, this is such an, a soft treatment, whereas the Sun Gong album, a similar approach, but because of the sonic palette you're dealing with, in fact, I was playing that while my family was eating dinner. And for a long time, my wife didn't even notice it. And then she was just like, what is that that's going on? <laughs> because the sound of a gong, you know, or layers of gongs, can you say about in creating these meditative landscapes, the range of instruments you've used and approaches over the years? For one, that's pretty brave to play a gong track while trying to eat food. But I've worked with kalimba, worked with voice, worked with the uh, synthesizers, piano, drums, percussions, harmonica. And uh, I've fiddled around with didge, but I quite have not mastered the didge yet. And also percussion like chimes and shakers and seeds. So that rich, multi-instrumental palette. Yes, I was pleased. To, so in looking at the third song we're going to play here, all of a sudden from Vision Songs, I see the compilation is from 2017, but the song itself is from the 80s. Mid 80s, about 1983, 84 was when most of those came together. And I see on YouTube that there's a live performance much shorter on Celestrana, which and there's several of these Celestrana things of just you for 20 minutes or whatever playing various instruments and, you know, really getting to see you, at least at that time, what you were doing. I mean, is that pretty consistent with what you do now in performances of, you know, you've got three different instruments around you? and Yes, the sort of quiet, spiritual, meditative, uplifting, healing approach to using instruments and the keyboard synthesizer and electric zither and that sort of yoga meditative setting. I feel like it has grown into what I was doing before this period launched in. I say that's a pretty good connection, connecting those 1980s performance styles and performance models to what I'm doing now. 
Well, and my son would not forgive me if I did not bring up, I saw one of the videos where you're doing this improvisational vocal thing. You pulled out a hand puppet and it had it do the singing and just the camera is on the hand puppet the whole time, which says something about the relation of, you know, humor is okay to connect to meditation. It's not a serious thing in that sense. The humor, the way of softening and opening and also the hand puppet served me in times whenever I'm doing a serious teaching the hand puppet helps it to become lighter. Well, let's talk about this song all of a sudden. We're going to play this whole thing. It's eight and a half minutes, but it's a song. Did you have the lyrics to this at all beforehand, or this is entirely improvised? Would you believe that song came totally out of the sky? (laughs) All right. So for this version, this recording is the first, because I saw this performance on Celestranas from a few years later. It's shorter. It has the same lyrics. So obviously it became a song, but you're saying for this recording... Yeah, the original recording was just spontaneous. All right, well, let's hear it. All of a sudden, it's another time in another world and another state of mind. All of a sudden, it's another self, it's another vibration, it's another state of seeing. may have been here before we may have taken this path one time long time ago all of a sudden it's another smile it's another heartbeat it's another style of thinking
Life is mystical in its own subtle ways And all of a sudden it's a different place It's a different world, it's a different state of feeling So you got a nice electric piano, groovy, fairly slow, but it's got some nice groove to it. Are you playing over a little drum machine just that's doing this little hi-hat thing throughout? A little Casio Tone MT-70 that has a little drum machine in it and about 10 different or 20 different voices, different sounds from um, organ to piano. Interesting little sounds that they're on the edge of being a toy to being serious if you can put your professional energies into it. And the, the Casio Tone has been, was very portable in the 80s that I would carry with me on trips to uh, California or to uh, Florida. And many of the songs from Vision Songs were conceived when I was in other people's homes or performing on a very portable instrument. And that instrument was very portable for me at that time. Some of the reason that it makes sense to have it go on for as long as it does is that you do change up the sound a couple times. So that's just purely, I'm just going to hit a different patch on the same synth. You're not switching to another keyboard there? No, another patch on the same synth. Okay, and then specifically, let me play a part from where it really departs. <laughs> Something is different. Something is not the same. Something is different. So was that like a preset on the... It is. Uh, I bells or something, but all the presets were on that one little Casio. I still use the Casio now. Just to be clear, so the preset was not just the sound. It was, are you playing that? Or is that... I choose the voice or the instrument, and then I'm actually playing it. Okay, all right. But that particular sound has a kind of little watery edge to it. And that's a, a big chain, you know, that you've been doing this nice, steady little, you know, kind of a slow Stevie Wonder thing. I'm, I'm picturing, or Ray Charles, to then, now we're going to go into this avant-garde little <laughs> classical run here. That's all part of the message in that song, is being prepared for change. Sometimes change is spontaneous, a big switch, a big shift. 
to a new atmosphere, a new vibration, a new understanding. And so I took the liberty of expressing changeability in uh, moving around with those tones on that same keyboard. The whole song is this moment of enlightenment of all of a sudden something's changed. But then introducing that, now that we have been playing this for four minutes, we're going to make it explicitly about the song. That we're, all of a sudden I'm playing the B section, you know. It's, it's a nice <laughs> little joke built in there. I don't know. I saw this uh, Vision Songs album is all vocal stuff. M- most of it sounds more obviously improvised than this because it, you know, you've got a mantra, you've got something in a foreign language that you're running with. Is there any pre-programmed song in your catalog or they're all basically extensions of the same improv project there are song themes that i repeat for inspiration like this little light of mine uh, bring forth your highest vision there are set songs that they are like a skeleton around which i'm free to improvise so it's like a lecture and you have your notes that you want to cover and so these songs I have notes or quotes that I wanted to make sure I included in the songs, but where I included them was totally up to spontaneity. Most of the vision songs was spontaneous, except there was one area where I was doing a a mantra, a Vedic mantra. You probably were referring to that when you said foreign language. And that's a mantra that I'm accustomed to chanting along with spiritual communities around the globe. Other than that, all of that was feeling, getting into um, where I'm imaging and I'm seeing scenes or hearing themes and I'm free associating with those themes or that imagery in my imagination. Words come, sentences come, and it fills itself out through me. So I'm fascinated by the difference in career arcs and opportunities that are available with different genres that obviously, you know, you come from a jazz background. Did you play like in a jazz combo ever early on or? Yeah, jazz poet ensemble out of Brooklyn, New York. It was called The Winds of Change. And for that ensemble, I was playing Fender Rhodes keyboard. There was a cornet, there was a poet, a bass player, a guitarist. That was my jazz years. It was in the 70s zither came on the scene and then finding the zither getting discovered by brian eno you're connected to that whole art rock crowd but then by i want to say utilitarian but you know the fact that you're providing meditation music it is an actual service it is an actual and it's not just come here my thing that i want to show you you know just it has a whole social context to it so you're doing a lot of specific events related to meditation yes conferences okay so has that just provided a real, you know, a, a real avenue throughout your career of always a new place to play, always a new excuse to tour without having to do the normal thing that like a rock or a jazz combo would do because you have this other infrastructure to draw on? Is that accurate? There's always the opportunity to be fresh, new, and not have to remember a lead sheet. More tuned in to what the audience needs or the conference needs. And the music would be spontaneously played like a massage, like offering, creating an atmosphere within which the people could relax and feel space. So there was no set music score. It's more just using the instrument to sculpt sound for the purpose of relaxing and preparing space for a speaker or preparing space for people to go into deep relaxation. Now, I noticed on this live version of All of a Sudden, instead of switching patches, you switch over and do a little part on the zither. Actually, can you just clarify? So... A zither versus an auto harp 
Is it that the auto harp has the built-in chord names that you're pushing the buttons and the zither doesn't? Is that auto harp is a corded zither? Okay. And so if I take the chord bars, I'm using an auto harp, but I removed the chord bars, so I've removed the automatic mechanism and I've returned it to its more zither-like state. So I use the term loosely zither now, uh, except if someone approaches me and says, "How can I?" get into this kind of music what do i buy to get into it and i tell them you have to purchase an auto harp to start with and then you break it down and alter things about it to get to that electric zither state and then you said you want it to be a very portable setup but doesn't it take a lot of time to retune it to a different mode you know for a particular song or like so how is that working in a, in a live setup be a nightmare mark if i had to do that <laughs> <laughs> no it stays in the same tuning and sometimes i'll have two zithers for a special performance, if I have to have one in major mode and one in minor mode to uh, cover two different feelings, more of a feminine, introspective mode, meditative, and then one for bright, up, dance, energy. So do you remember for introspection, which one of those you were using? That's the, that's the major chord one or the... I wouldn't be surprised if it was in minor mode. I tend to think minor when I go into the internal... That doesn't sound major or minor. That sounds like one of the modes that I never learned the names of Mixolydian or something like that. It could not be major, but could have been pentatonic. Okay. I do a lot of pentatonic work. So it's just mainly the two tunings that you use at this point. I had read that you were experimenting with a lot of different ones over the years. Oh, I still do, depending on what project one. Lately, I've been getting requests to do remixes. So I have go into different tunings. Usually pentatonic tuning is an easy tuning to put over somebody else's work without actually overpowering their work, but lending an ethereal relaxed edge to it. But those are two basic ones. Major pentatonic and minor are the most popular that I've been using over the years. They've come in most handy. I've also found that Japanese tunings have a very elegant, peaceful quality to it. And just to fill things out, so, you know, you've been doing a lot of this solo stuff, but I see also in your fairly recent catalog that you've had some collaborations that, I mean, you mentioned remixes. So you're both remixing other people's stuff and other people are remixing yours. Is that? The remix mine, they remix Bring on the Sun. There are about, what, 11 different artists were invited to remix. Okay. So that was one project. Yeah. And I am now in my isolation getting requests from other projects who would like me to remix one or two tracks on their upcoming albums. So that's new for me. I noticed, especially in some of these remixes, while your music is very meditative, all you need to do is add, you know, a funky beat (laughs) over it and it becomes a different thing. But those are usually some other artist that you're collaborating with or that is remixing you that's introducing those elements in those songs where that appears. Yes, some of these remixes requests are funky upbeats and offer an ethereal, sparse, ambient edge for them to mix into that without actually competing with what they've already done. Is there a new album that you're working on, in particular, post-Sun Piano? Well, Sun Piano, then Moon Piano, then Through Luminous Eyes, that's the third of the three albums being released. That one, last one should be released by the end of October. Okay, so I had not heard Moon Piano, so that's more from the same sessions? Yes, All of this has been mixed from the same session. And Moon Piano was mixed to involve the more quiet, soft, reflective, contemplative space, whereas Sun Piano was more bright, open, energetic, maybe even danceable. Well, yeah, we wanted to leave folks with another track from that. Shenandoah requested from Sun Piano. Can we talk about how 
I was accusing you with the first song of maybe unconsciously channeling some of your old jazz standards or folk standards or whatever influences, but this is explicitly a traditional song that you're doing an open jazz interpretation of. Can you say a little about the process that went into this before we leave folks with hearing that? Well, Shenandoah itself, I've always had a poetic bonded relationship with it. I guess ever since grade school, when I first heard the song or heard it being sung by choirs, and there's something about the song that pulls at my heart. And uh, I even had a chance to visit the area of Shenandoah and it kind of strengthened my sense of connection to the beauty of the song. It's, uh, whether you call it a folk song or a chanty, there's something about it, poetic, that enchants me. And I've always improvised it. Whenever I've, I've gotten on piano, that would be one of the songs that I would play the themes of. And for this particular project, I went the full length of using it as a theme and developing it into a little bit of a jazz direction. I treated it with respect to uh, actually complement the emotional state it generally takes me to, Shenandoah. And maybe the name itself, Shenandoah, brings up maybe a little bit of my Native American intuition. The name Shenandoah has a poetic edge to me. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It was really a treat immersing myself in your catalog, of course. What with uh, 50 plus albums listed on your wiki page, that I did not get through it all, but I, I did my best to sample everything I could get my hands on. So very fun. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great rest of your day.
Thanks so much to Laraji, a charming gentleman. A whole different kind of music for me for this podcast. I would have loved to have gotten a little more detail on what it's like to play that whole different side of the music business, those meditation venues, conferences, etc. And I encourage you to check out his music at laraji.blogspot.com or larajimusic.bandcamp.com. Find some of the more energetic stuff. There's some really great environments to be in that he's created. And of course, you can find this podcast at nakedlyexaminedmusic.com, which now has a little widget in the upper right that directs you exactly how to leave a nice rating and review for this podcast. Please, please do that. That's how we get new listeners and share it on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you want. My next guest will be Peter Milton Walsh from The Apartments, who is wonderful. Please come back. Most of all, keep on music in. Until next time, this is Mark Lintonmeyer signing off. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.